Hey folks, Susan Finch here with part two of my interview with Tom Williams and Tom Sane on their book, The Seller's Challenge. Last episode, we only got as far as talking about RFPs. It is a must-read chapter, as is the whole book. Their book, again, is The Seller's Challenge. You can find it on Amazon. Find it, order it, and who knows, bring it with them sometime when you have a chance to meet these two. Maybe they'll even sign it for you. But let's get on to talking about some of the great chapters in this book. And welcome, you two. Thank you for coming back. Good to see Thank you. Thank you, Susan. We appreciate you having us. Let's talk, you know, we've talked about RFPs, insight selling. We've talked about some other things. I want to talk about sellers that have to work with committees. What advice can you give? <laughs> I would start off by saying you better bring your A game. This is not to be short-sighted. One of the temptations uh, that we have is to say, okay, well, there's a committee, but really only one person or two people or three people are really the critical people. And so what we do as sellers is to begin to minimize the challenge that we're facing, and that's not a good thing because we're likely to make mistakes. So the reality is that you need to find out a lot about the committee. Committees are getting larger than ever before, more technical specialists, more users being involved. And so what you really have to do is you have to track them very carefully. As you do it, you may find that there are reasons for having put things together in that committee fashion. One of which is that uh, things may have failed in the past. Need to know that. If something's gone wrong, you need to know why and who that harmed uh, so that you could get the advantage on that. As you're looking at your committee, what you need to do is to figure out why the committee was formed in the first place and what are the rules that they're going to live by. I'll tell you one that's scary, and people sometimes assume this is not the case, but it can be a committee that will decide by consensus. And when they decide by consensus, if you have five, six, seven people, that can be a real challenge. What's your responsibility as a seller is to be the individual who is the architect of a consensus solution. That means you have to talk to everybody and figure out what matters to them and be the agent of communicating the value that they need. Susan, I think a couple of things I'd add in there, you know, and, and Tom touched on it is bring your A game. It's all about preparation. Before you get in front of a committee, you've got to really understand how large is the committee? What are the titles of the people that serve on the committee? How often does the committee meet? Does the committee allow presentations? Does the committee, uh, who does the committee report to? And so we go in the book and we, we probably list 40, 50, 60 questions that sellers can pick and choose from to determine and get some background information on the entire committee. Secondly, is that you've got you've to do your research on this. You've got to really get involved and understand the different people and why they're serving in that committee and what their interests are in your product, service, or solution. And third, you know, we talk about it in great detail in the book, and that is just to plan to handle tough questions. In many of the meetings that I've been in, you know, there's been no preparation up in advance about what are the types of questions that could come from each of the different people on the committee, and how are we, who's going to answer them from our team? in an eloquent way so that we're not stumbling. It's very critical, but this is all part of preparation. The questions that you said you have like 40 or 50 that they can pick and choose from, teaching people or getting them practiced in how to not only select which ones, because you can't ask them all. 
Right. And, and you probably can't reach everybody on the committee. So it's also narrowing down. If you can only get to three out of the seven of the committee, how do you determine which are the, you know, the most critical ones? Yeah, that's really part of the stakeholder mapping where we talk mm -hmm. about, you know, who, who buys, who cares, what matters. You know, those three, those three very central and important questions to ask is part of that, is part of that process. So you describe gatekeepers in, in a novel way. Tell, can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, I'll start it off and then I'll let Tom, t you know, uh, talk about it because he and I have had a lot of great discussions about gatekeepers, but we really look at them as, um, not look at them in a negative way. We think the term gatekeeper really has got a negative connotation, but you really think about what their, what their role is and what they do. They're really talent scouts, really. They're, they're talent scouts. They're, they're the gateway to the executive. And what their, their role and function really is, is to make sure that they get the right, let the right people in to, to see the executive or talk to them. Want to keep the wrong people out, you know, that they can. And it's, their make sure, and it's also their job to make sure that the right people are refer, referred to the right executive. And so it's all about protecting and respecting the time of the executive so they can do his or her job. And so we think that, you know, that, that term gatekeeper really is an old, outdated term. It's kind of like we'll get into it later, but perhaps uh, we don't like the word objection either. We, we think that's a, an outdated term that, that should be taken out of the sales vernacular. So I noticed you replaced that with concerns. Yes. We prefer the word concern. We don't think customers have objections. We think they have concerns. If, if I could just make another comment about the, about the gatekeeper role and our interaction as a seller with that. One of the things that, that I think we would find greater assistance and greater communication with a, a gatekeeper is instead of rejecting them, or trying to get past them, you co-opt them. And by co-opt, I mean, sometimes just ask a, a question. Do you think that this is the right direction for me to go in the order in which I'm talking to people? Is there somebody I don't have on my list that I should have on my list that you think would care about the solution and the decision that the group makes or individual makes. So you ask them some questions that encourage them to use their expertise in the organization. There are years of being there. And uh, there's a, a little story that we tell in the book where a guy uh, comes in and, and there's a woman that is uh, obvious gatekeeper and he mistakes her for not being someone knowledgeable and just tries to give her a flippant reason why he should get an appointment. But the reality is that that woman has been there 20 years. She has worked with every senior vice president that's come through the office and she has an MBA. And the reality is that that individual that we call a gatekeeper, or that they call a gatekeeper, really isn't a gatekeeper at all. They're a project manager. And that individual may in fact be running the project. So what you need to do is to find out the expanse of knowledge and involvement that that person has and be able to use that in a way that's different, that is collaborative as opposed to um, push and shove. That makes sense. I've been the gatekeeper at companies, so I know exactly how that is. It's a fun role for the gatekeeper to get to be the hero. Absolutely. You know, does, you know, I brought this solution. This is to be able to, you know, solve an issue. And, and what I find too is I got really good Christmas gifts too from the people. <laughs> I know that's tacky, but 
it was fun. I felt like I was on on the team a little bit more. I felt like I was, you know, in a different role, a more influential role. And it gave me more ownership of that relationship. And I protected it more as well, because then I'm invested in it. Exactly. And you know, when you, if, if, when you, when you're in that role, think about if a seller came to you and asked you for your help, you said, I need some coaching. Um, this is what I'm trying to do, how it elevated your status and made you feel better. And you, and he differentiated himself, himself or herself amongst all the other sellers that were trying some flippant way to try to, to get around you to get to the exact. That's what the entire chapter is about. It's trying to get people to think in a different way about the gatekeeper and how do you get to that executive you're trying to reach. I appreciate that because I've been in both, both positions. So that's, right. that's been interesting. And an, another interesting role too of a gatekeeper, it isn't always the traditional one. It's where you come in as a vendor or a new vendor and you sometimes become a new gatekeeper of that company's interest, which I have found as well. As a salesperson, I have come into a role and noticed things were awry in other areas with other vendors they were using or potentially considering because now I'm a trusted resource. I'm also able to help make recommendations and I become part of the committee. Right, because you're a person who has the expertise with a product in the market, you know what to do. You know what things are going wrong. So the red flags, the green flags, all of that. Absolutely. And, and to disrespect a person by not recognizing or be interested, at least, in what their background and history is, boy, that can be a near fatal flaw for a seller. And, and so I think what we want to do is to give that individual, before you label them, before you make decisions about their, their expertise, why don't you just kind of find it out? Why don't you ask the questions that are going to allow them to contribute to what you know, understand the expanse of their capabilities, and then be able to develop a, co- a collaborative relationship? Well, I see there's another chapter, must read. <laughs> You have another one, though, that's on managing price demands. What are the one or two takeaways for that? Well, the first thing that that I guess I would say that I've learned and is reinforced by literally all the research on negotiation is I think sometimes sellers panic and they think, wow, now I've got to give up some money, but it means I'm going to get a quick solution in terms of the purchase. So if I do this, then I'll get the deal. And the first thing you need to do is to figure out if that's true. Are they asking for a better price simply because they're, that's part of their job? Or are they doing it because they want to close the deal and they're this far away from closing it? And you need to figure that out. And the second thing that I guess I would say is don't ever give without getting something. It's part of the nature of people negotiating. And so if you're going to give away in the form of a price discount, ask for something back, a longer contract, whatever. But it gives you the opportunity to to weigh something important for you with something that's important for them. And also 
helps to prevent you from cheapening what you're offering though. And because I find I almost, I don't get offended, but I get wary of anybody that immediately wants to start dropping the price when I did, like you said, I didn't ask them to. I'm not asking them to do anything. I'm just pondering still. That's what we call negotiating with yourself. (laughs) That's bad. (laughs) It is, but there are lots of people that exactly uh, when they come into the the meeting, they they maybe you've had some discussion and they're concerned about their budget. Now, they haven't said that they want a, a discounted price, but they've said that they're concerned about the budget. And so what you do is leap ahead and become the buyer. And you say, well, I'll ask myself, can you help out? Yep, I can help you out a little bit. Let me sharpen my pencil. And the reality is you've negotiated not with them, but with yourself. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting phenomenon, you know, this whole price reduction um, demands by buyers, Susan, because, you know, what it comes down to, for, I think, for us is that you want is the seller hasn't sold value, right? They really haven't sold the value of their product or service or solution. And so they feel uncomfortable because they haven't sold it. Now, they, now the seller's asking for a price reduction. I think I feel compelled to give that to them. The second thing is, is that, you know, when you, if you think about providing a discount, it makes it more difficult for you to make your number, whatever your quota is, because you've just reduced that. And if you have to do 20 deals or 30 deals in order to make your number, whatever that is, and you reduce each one by say five or 10%, you got to do X number more deals in order to make your number. So you're really hurting yourself. And the second, and I think the last point is, is that if, if in, we know in some industries that it's required to give some type of discount. But if the buyer asks for 5%, doesn't mean you have to give 5%. What's the matter with 1%, 1.5%, 2%? You don't have to start just because the buyer starts at five and kind of as, an, as a starting point, doesn't mean you have, to, you have to give that. And Tom, you know, I think you make a great point because if somebody asks for 5%, do you think that that's what they have to have? Or do you think that they've built in a leeway on just what they would like to have? Exactly. So you can almost discount their discount immediately and not give them everything they ask for. And there are always other options. Can you give them a little bit of a price discount and give them something else that might be of value, but not of monetary value? Correct. Well, you know, the other, and and the last point I think Susan and I would make is that, you know, when you think about usually oftentimes sellers are negotiating with someone in procurement. And that individual in procurement, it's their job to ask you for that discount. And keep in mind, every dollar that they they get in a discount drops straight through the bottom line. It's a savings. And so if you were the CEO, would you rather have to go and increase your revenue, say 10%, and have a 50% gross margin? Or would you rather go and have your your procurement people get a discount from every supplier and you make your, your number that way? Uh, that's a, I mean, that's their job. Their job is to be the hero. Exactly. And, and to be able to put it on a spreadsheet to show, to validate their being in that position. Well, and oftentimes there's a bonus associated with their savings. So if you start to ask yourself, and we cover this in the book, on, in the chapter on procurement, we talk about those different KPIs or key performance indicators of how procurement is actually evaluated. And one of them is the percent of savings realized from existing suppliers and, and new suppliers. Well, we have already gone through, this is our second episode covering your book, The Seller's Challenge. 
we just blew right through and didn't even bother with a commercial break because <laughs> there's so much to cover. I want to know though, are you going to be offering any training or are you going to be speaking somewhere on the topics in the book? Yes, we're, um, we're available now for, for keynotes uh, or training on, on one or more topics of the book, you know, depending upon what the, uh, the organization requires. They may, as Tom indicated earlier, they may, they may want to discuss the whole book or there may be two or three key areas in the book uh, that, are, that are really uh, Achilles heels for their organization. So we're available for, uh, for keynotes or any training on any of those topics. Do you do virtual training too or do you only do it in person? Uh, we'll, do, we'll do virtual training uh, through the web if people want to do it that way, you know, or we'll do it one-to-one -one and uh, facilitate it. All right. Are there any other tools available, you know, that you recommend that would be used in conjunction with, with the book, The Seller's Challenge? We've got an excellent workbook that uh, once you buy the book, go back to the website and double click on the particular icon and you can download the workbook. And it's, uh, it not only refreshes you as to the concepts that are in the book, but also the skills that are needed to actually do the things that we're talking about. And so on something like stakeholder mapping. There's a template that goes along with that so that you can kind of walk yourself through it. But also we've got some tasks that allow you to track, are you getting the right information that you need to get? Wonderful. That's a nice added on bonus. So that's with the Kindle version or the paperback version, you can still get the workbook? Absolutely. Wonderful. So they can find the book on Amazon, you said, is a Kindle version. And where else? Local bookstores. And local bookstores. Okay, so yeah. as for the seller's challenge, folks, you want to order this book online and get it sent to you right away, or the next time you're out and about, go to the bookstore in the business book section and look for it by the authors, Tom Williams and Thomas Sane. It'll be under one of their last names first. Who's first on the book? Williams. Okay, so it's going to be in the Williams. So if that's where you're looking alphabetically by author. There you go. Start there. And how can they find you both? They can find us uh, uh, through LinkedIn, and we'd love to connect with them. Uh, we, we, uh, we enjoy connecting with, our, with your listeners or any of the readers of the book or just the people who just like uh, they're in sales and want to talk with us occasionally. Uh, also, uh, you can connect with us on uh, email at either T. Williams or T. Sane at strategicdynamicsfirm.com, or they can go to our website at, at www.strategicdynamicsfirm.com. Great. And I will have that on the post in Rooted in Revenue, part of the Funnel Radio Network. I'll have every way to reach them and to order the book. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. And I can't wait to finish reading this book because there are so many wonderful points. And I promise I will use my highlighter well, because I'm always looking for good tools to have handy. There are key points here, folks, that you're going to want to tab highlight or something so that you can just go right to it when you're in that situation. Thank you. This has been Susan Finch on the Funnel Radio Group with Tom Williams and Tom Sane with their book, The Seller's Challenge. And you can catch all the replays at rootedinrevenue.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, anywhere where you listen, we want to be there. We look forward to the next episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Susan Finch here. I'm the media director for the Funnel Media Group, including the SLMA, Sales Lead Management Association, and the Funnel Radio Network. 
We have 13 shows currently that are running every month. I've been in podcast production for and hosting for seven years and I've learned quite a few things. Number one, it doesn't have to be difficult. We've proven this on the Funnel Radio Network with first-time hosts and a lot of first-time guests. You can have an idea, want to be the host, and we do the rest. We'll produce it, brand it, post it, and air your show. And after the show, we'll continue to promote it and all of your past episodes and give you the artwork that we create, the embed code, so you can easily add it to your own website. We even take care of getting your show up on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, and Google Play. Number two, it's not just about the replay numbers. Our best hosts understand this all the way to their core. As a host, you will open doors to interview potential clients and strategic partners. It's a great way to establish a relationship and build authority as well as credibility. Number three, marketing will love this. It reinforces your current initiatives. Focusing on a new book, product launch, campaign? Have your episode coordinate with marketing's plan to give you added media materials to share out and catch a wider audience. Number four, this happens, we know it. Changing companies? If you were a host at your former company, you can show those episodes off as added value for adding you to the new team or pushing for a higher position. Then you can start a new show or continue a variation of the old one at your new company, branding you as well. What do you think? Ready to give it a try? How about one show? How about once a month? If you like it, you can go bi-weekly or weekly. Contact me, Susan at FunnelRadio.com so we can talk about the possibilities. Have a podcast already? Is it listed in our B2B podcast directory? Well, why not? Go to B2Bpodcastdirectory.com to get added. So remember, to learn more, go to FunnelRadio.com or TheSLMA.com. That's T-H-E-S-L-M-A.com. And be sure to visit our B2B podcast directory, which is B, the number two, B, podcastdirectory.com. We hope to see you somewhere soon and get you started on